Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. It's great to be with you. We are live in downtown Charlottesville. We are maybe a mile, probably a little bit less than a mile as the crow flies from Scott Stadium, and we are so very excited with college football set to kick off right here in the Atlantic Coast Conference and our proud and beloved University of Virginia football team traveling to uh, the state of Tennessee to face a volunteer offense at a volunteer program that is absolutely dynamic. We'll talk Virginia's offensive line. We'll talk running backs by committee. We'll talk a quarterback that's yet to be tested in the ACC. And we'll talk the ACC football games on the docket that seem to stand out to us. North Carolina and South Carolina in prime time on Saturday evening, number 21 UNC, a two and a half point favorite. And boys and girls, expansion talk in the ACC is still front and center. All those topics and more with the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, 40 plus years of covering the Virginia football program and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Judah Wickhauer, let's go to the two shot, the studio camera, then the two shot, and let's welcome our Hall of Famer to the program, Hootie. I can taste live action, my friend. It's right around the corner, brother. It's it, uh, coming fast and furious, as they say. And um, it's, it's just wild. I, I can't believe football season's here. We've been talking about it for over a month now, and uh, yeah, they're going to kick it off this week. I love training camp. I love reading your coverage on jerryratcliffe.com, the premier source for anything UVA-related, jerryratcliffe.com. But something about week one, I know we're a 28-point underdog. I know the over-unders at 56, and I think both you and I feel the Vols are going to try to eclipse 56 points here as they really try to flex their muscles in week one. But I still get excited knowing that week one is on the horizon for this Virginia football team and head coach Tony Elliott. Where do you want to start with this matchup, Hootie? Well, I guess the main thing is Tony Elliott's realizes the situation that they're in. He's He was offensive coordinator at Clemson for a decade, and they played in the college football playoffs, played in one, one, two national championships. He knows how to coach against uh, better, you know, big-time big, big time teams in big-time atmospheres. He's been there, done that. So uh, he probably has a little bit of edge to him that, that maybe some – uh, I won't say he's a newbie head coach since he has a year under his belt, but it's nothing new to him. So uh, even though Tennessee is, is a huge favorite and, and could win by a route, I don't think he'll be intimidated at all. I think he realizes the situation that he's in, and he's using this as a gauge to find out just where Virginia football stands. I think most of us have a pretty good idea, and I think he probably has a pretty good idea, but compared to a team like Tennessee, who's one of the elite teams in the nation right now, top 10, top 15 in almost every poll, he's going to use this as a measuring stick to see where Virginia is, how far they have to go, what what they need to do to improve as a program and be able to compete in games like this. 
Logan Wells Claylo watching the program. Peter Sweeney watching the program. Stephanie Rhodes in Keswick says, Go Who's. Viewers and listeners, you can offer questions to the Hall of Famer himself, Jerry Ratcliffe, or give us some UVA perspective by putting it in the feed anywhere you are watching the program. Let's talk about the Vols. JerryRatcliffe.com's got some fantastic coverage. Correspondent Clay Meeks breaks it down on Hootie's website. Tennessee is a juggernaut. I mean, we're talking an offense that finished number one in points scored last year, 599 points, 46 points per game. They return a quarterback in uh, Joe Milton III, who has got a strong arm. Your website, six foot five, 240 pounds, and this man can boogie, Hootie. Yes, he can, and uh, for those of us who have seen some some sizable quarterbacks <clears throat> in the past. Uh, I know Virginia Tech had one a few years ago. His name escapes me, but uh, he's a he's a big dude. And not only does he possess the strongest arm in college football, and it's not even close. Uh, I mean, he he can throw it sixty five yards on the money in the air, and and not even uh, stressing his arm, uh, but. He can also run the football, and he's a big dude. And if you got a guy that big running, he's that's hard to bring down. So uh, he poses an incredible threat, and he's experienced. He's a senior. He was, I think, he was MVP of the bowl game last year when Tennessee mopped up Clemson. Uh, so that tells you what kind of uh, an offense he's used to operating in. Now, they lost some key personnel last year, but. Uh, they've replaced some through the transfer portal and have recruited well. They, they've got some really good um, skilled players. Uh, a wide receiver, Squirrel, Squirrel White, he's a sophomore. Um, he is outstanding. He had 30 catches for 481 yards and two touchdowns last year. Uh, he had nine catches for 108 yards against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Uh but they're, you know, they've they've got uh, they're loaded in just about every position, um, and I, I think it's just going to be uh, a, a test for John Rudzinski's defense to be able to hold these guys down because uh, that, that's and that's the one focus that Rudzinski had in preseason training camp was to try to keep people out of the end zone, to do do better in the red zone, and to be better in third downs to get off the field uh, and turn the ball over to the offense. So, We'll talk Coach Rudd yeah. here in a matter of moments. He's got a, a fair – he's got eight starters returning, and we're hoping the defense is going to be a strong point for the Hoos this season. Still, the Tennessee offense, Hootie, what strikes me to you and what I learned from your website, jerryratcliffe.com, this is a dynamic offense. It's very balanced. They throw the football. They run the football. Your correspondent, Clay Meeks, described it pretty well. Last year, the Vols offense, 134 of their first downs earned by rushing. 155 of their first downs earned through the air. A balanced attack. What are you watching with this defense with eight starters returning that could um, – either stand out to you or be a point of concern? Do you stop the run? Do you stop the pass? Well, I, I think just about any uh, defensive coordinator worth his salt is, is going to try to stop the run 
first, and I'm sure Rudzinski will do that. He's got a pretty good front seven and, and a very experienced defensive line uh, who's been pretty good against the run. And uh, that's going to be key because most of Tennessee's uh, main running backs have returned, including Jalen Wright, who had uh, 875 yards and 10 touchdowns last year, and Jabari Small, uh, who had 734 yards and 13 touchdowns. And then another guy, uh, a speedster, Dylan Sampson, who came on late in the season and had about 400 yards rushing and almost seven yards per carry. So they're going to be tested early by Tennessee's running game uh, and and Joe Milton's arm. But <clears throat> I think that's Ruzinski's going to be his game plan is to try to um, contain Tennessee's running game because it, I learned a long time ago from people like George Welsh and, and, and other people that if you can control the line of scrimmage – Offensively, you can do pretty much anything you want to do, and and if you're controlling the line of scrimmage, you're going to be able to run the football, and that's what Rudzinski doesn't want to happen because if it does, Tennessee can not only control the line of scrimmage, they can control the tempo, the pace of the thing. They're a very fast-paced offense. I mean, they they might run 40 plays a half because they they line it up and they're ready to go. So it's going to, they're going to test Virginia in a lot of ways, and, and also test Virginia's depth. It's supposed to be a pretty warm day in Nashville, and Tennessee's going to keep running fresh bodies in and out of the game, something that Rudzinski's very aware of, and um, he believes his team is well-conditioned. We'll see how they fare in this up-tempo game. Of course, he, Virginia runs an up-tempo offense as well, so they get, they got practice. They get to see that in practice. Yeah. So, but I think the main thing is they're going to try to keep Tennessee from controlling the clock and controlling the, the, the game through the running game. Uh, Kevin Yancey watching in Waynesboro. He says, good morning. He says the game will be over by the first quarter. Kevin Yancey often very bearish in his outlook on, on many of the programs we do here. Holly Foster is watching the program in Henrico. She wants your opinion on Matt Gainyard, the kicker. Um, she's watching, uh, she read the Richmond Times-Dispatch, sent me a picture this morning of their sports page, which I am looking at right now, Holly. And in the sports page, on the front page, ex-Marine 34 living his dream as a walk-on. Right mm-hmm. there in the RTD, an article written by one of your colleagues, Mike Barber. Um, questions are coming in. This one is coming in from McLean, and it's one of our headlines here. What can the Who's do against a big-time favorite in a program like Tennessee that can give them some hope moving forward for the rest of the year? That's a good question. Yeah. I know there's no such thing in big-time college football as moral victories, but we're 28-point underdogs here. What can we take from this game that can be applied to weeks two, three, four, and five and beyond? Well, the main thing they're going to try to do is is just try to compete and and not get blown out. And, you know, the game could be over by the first quarter. But then again, it's the first game of the season. Never know what could happen. Uh, We've seen a lot of crazy things happen opening weekend in football. And... Uh, the one thing you can't control is turnovers. And so if they're lucky enough 
to force some turnovers or Tennessee makes some mistakes or if Tennessee's sloppy and Virginia's at the top of their game. You never know. They, they could they could still be in the game uh, in, even in the second half if, if they catch some breaks here and there. Uh, again, it could be it could be over by halftime. Uh, there's no question about that. But the main thing Virginia's going to be trying to do is just to compete and try to try to make a game of it and try to uh, go to their strengths and see what they can build on that will help them in later games. Because, uh, I mean, the worst thing you can do is go in there and get beat 56 to nothing or something like that and just be demoralized. They're going to be trying to build some confidence, hope to get lucky. Again, that may not happen. They they could get they could get their doors blown off. I mean, we're talking about big time football here, and Tennessee's not only going to be just trying to win the game; they're going to try to run up the score because they're trying to make a statement to the national pollsters and uh, to impress people who wonder if they're if they can truly contend for the SEC East title. So uh, it's Virginia's job to go in and and try to be as fundamentally sound as they can, not make mistakes, not beat themselves, and try to build some confidence, try to compete, try to make a game of it, and and still be alive in the second half. That may not happen, probably won't happen, but uh, again, you you see some crazy things first week of the season. Some teams aren't in sync at that point, and uh, that's that's something that I'm sure Tony Elliott is hoping for. Um, Tony Elliott's got an offensive line that's a bit banged up. And we knew coming into the season we had a couple of question marks here. We had question marks under center with the quarterback. We had question marks in the trenches with the offensive line. Injuries, unfortunately, have hit one of the question marks for UVA within the trenches in the offensive line here. You talked about this on jerryratcliffe.com. You got a quarterback that's got no big-time college football experience, and the guys that are protecting him aren't in a, a... particularly healthy right now. Give us your take on both. We'll get a, a clearer picture of that in a couple hours because Tony Elliott's going to have his weekly first weekly presser of the season, game week presser at 1 o'clock. We'll, uh, I'm sure he'll give us an update on all those guys, and we'll have that on the website later this afternoon. But, you know, that was um, – I guess it was a, a, a several days ago when he told us about – uh, the offensive linemen and we're, you know a lot of those guys have been banged up. It's uh, they they've had a difficulty building their cohesiveness because of that. Because one guy'll be in one day, out the next, that sort of thing. I think um, that you know they were hoping that some of these guys would get healed up by Tennessee. They've still got a few days this week. Um, we don't know if they've been practicing what their health status is at this point, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that that was his main concern was having those guys ready by Saturday. Um, one of the, the the big left tackle, Mikhail Boley, from uh, down in Mississippi, his dad was an NFL player. He started as a true freshman some last year, which is very rare to start left tackle. He's got an ankle injury. Yeah, he had an ankle injury. Uh, they were hoping to get him back. If they can't, Blake Steen will move into that spot for the game. And, and that's a big transition from guard to tackle. 
It is, but I think he's done it seamlessly uh, from what we've heard and, and has really impressed coaches in training camp. So uh, I think they have some confidence in him, but that, that's a very big pressure point because Tennessee is going to be testing him as well to see if he can handle the pass rush because they're going to be trying to get the muskets blindside and uh, put as much pressure on him as they can. And you know that's going to happen because he's – uh, first time as an FBS quarterback, first time in an atmosphere like this. He's used to playing in front of maybe five or 7,000 people. It's going to be 65,000 people. Partisan uh, wrong color orange as far as he's concerned. They're going to be blitzing him and uh, pulling stunts and stuff, trying to confuse him and, and either put him on his back or force him into making him a mistake that could lead to a turnover which could lead to points so um, Steen could be at the left tackle uh, Ugana Nana I believe is how you pronounce his last name transferred from Houston a big dude uh, was at left guard they've moved him to right tackle at this point and uh, some of the other guys like Noah Josie and, and, and a couple others were a little banged up too And Jimmy Christ a transfer Jimmy, from Penn Jimmy State Chris from Penn State uh, they're depending on all these guys to be healed and to try to be able to contain a ferocious Tennessee pass rush because uh, Des Kitchens, their off, Virginia's offensive coordinator, when and watching tape and and uh, also doing research on some of the Tennessee transfers that came in in the offseason, uh, caught his eye. It's a pretty ferocious bunch of guys, not like last year's Tennessee defense, which had one of the worst secondaries in the country but uh, a pretty ferocious bunch that knows that they're going to have to produce if Tennessee really is going to vie for the SEC title. You're getting props right now from Liz Nottingham. She says you are her all-time favorite sports writer. She's watching right now on LinkedIn. Ray Cadell, this show is airing live on 15 Facebook pages, is traveling to a gig right now. Ray Cadell says, I'm traveling. We're listening to you guys on the road. Big fan of both you boys. You know what? We're a big fan of the cool cat as well, aren't we, Hootie? Absolutely. Known Ray Cadell for a long time and uh, love listening to his music. And uh, he's just a good all-around guy. And, and thank you, Liz, for the kudos. Uh, pre- much appreciated. Uh, Kevin Yancey bringing a little bit of a bearish take here. He's he's our bear on our contact. Um, there's one in every group, Hootie. Got to have a bear. You got to have a bear, Hootie. <laughs> I love He's, bears. He says, Hootie Ratcliffe, you've watched UVA a little longer than I have. Um, how many years can they honestly expect fans to endure the overhype, underperform before they walk away? That's a, that's a tough take before the first game of the season, Kevin Yancey in Waynesboro. Well, you know, they're going to – I mean, if you – Anybody that's been an athlete knows that no matter what happens, you don't ever give up. You don't ever stop trying. Uh, I mean, and and some teams do. We've seen a lot of Miami teams over the years just at the after beat down after beat down or getting losing a game that they shouldn't lose. Sometimes they'll just throw in a towel. I, I don't. I don't think these Virginia kids are like that. I think they know that. They're underdogs, that they're not expected to even make a game of it. Uh, I think they're going to be somewhat inspired by the uh, the first game back since the tragedy last November. I think they're going to be playing for those slain teammates of theirs. Uh, that will only carry you so far. 
some of those emotions. But, I, you know, I, they're not going to give up. I mean, they, they may get pummeled, but I, I don't think they'll s s quit fighting. I, that's one thing I noticed last year and uh, even the year before with some of these guys that played for Bronco is that even if they were getting pounded, uh, they keep playing and they keep trying to score. They keep trying to fight. I, I don't. I don't see this Virginia team quitting. Uh, they they could get beat fifty or sixty points, but I I think they'll keep trying even if they're getting beat. So uh, I don't see them walking away at, at any point unless it just becomes unbearable later in the season. Um, Stephanie Rhodes watching the program. She says, "Our family, the Wells family." has been doing it for 45 years. We are diehard UVA fans through it all. We bleed orange and blue. I'll tell you what, Stephanie, I love when you watch our programs and I love your positive mindset. Comments are coming in fast and furious. Kevin Higgins, we're gonna get to you here in Greenwood in a matter of moments. We wanna talk running back by committee. We give props to Bill McChesney, who's watching in, on, on McIntyre Road, and Bashir, formerly of Bashir's, the restaurant in the downtown mall, mm -hmm. watching the program right now. I believe he lives out in Afton right now, Bashir does. Running back by committee, Hootie Ratcliffe. Where do you want to start? Yeah, we talked to Des Kitchens about this the other day. Um, they have a loaded running back room. Xavier Brown was nicked up. I, I'm not sure he'll be ready for Tennessee, but they have a bunch of other guys who are experienced backs. Paris Jones uh, has been around for a long time. Uh, small guy, but uh, he played, started most of the games last season and pro probably will start Saturday against Tennessee, I would imagine. He is um, a kid who never thought that he was going to make it. He came in as a walk-on, earned a scholarship, fought his way into a starting position. Uh, didn't really get much of a chance under the Bronco regime, but Tony Elliott saw something in him, perhaps because Tony was uh, a, a guy that was overlooked uh, and earned his way into uh, playing time as a starting wide receiver for Clemson once upon a time. Um, I think this kid uh, uh, plays hard. He's uh, he's a fighter. Uh, they have s some other guys that um, have experience, and, and one of them is Kobe Pace, who played for Clemson and played a lot for Clemson before injuries got to him last year. And uh, he's a big-time back. He's played in big-time atmospheres. Um uh, so I would expect either one of those guys to get a lot of time. You have Mike Hollins, the survivor of last November's shootings, who's been through hell and back. And we all know, are familiar with his story. He was shot twice. He, he came off the bus and then realized what was happening and turned around and ran back to the bus to try to save his teammates. Got in there and realized it was uh, unwinnable situation uh, tried to get off the bus again got shot twice in the back from what the reports say uh, went through various surgeries fought his way back um, a lot of people would have said uh, that's the end of football for me uh, transferred to another school but he wouldn't do that He's, he came back to make a statement that hey this is who I am I'm a football player I'm more than a football player. I want to inspire others. Um, 
I'm not giving up. Uh, he came back in the spring with a uh, well, even in uh, workouts before spring football, and was uh, showed incredible tenacity and, and fortitude, and got himself back in playing shape. Scored a touchdown in the spring game, and uh, will play Saturday, I'm sure, out in Knox or Nashville. And uh, so they, uh, you know, they've they've got a lot of guys. One of them is probably doesn't stand out over the other. Uh, they all have different strengths, and uh, unlike Bronco, who believed in letting one guy carry the load most of the game, that uh, a guy gets stronger as the game goes on, and a lot of running backs are like that, some of the best running backs in history. They only got stronger in the fourth quarter. But Des Kitchens uh, doesn't think that there's a guy maybe necessarily like that in in there that's heads and shoulders above the other guys, so he's going to go by committee. He'll probably test out two or three guys early, and if somebody – develops a hot hand and looks like he's having a good day they'll stick with him until he's until he's stopped and then maybe they'll go to somebody else but it's going to be running back by committee until one of these guys proves that the job is his and then they can handle 25 carries a game Kevin Higgins in Greenwood he's trying to put Kevin Yancey in check a little bit over here Higgins says Yancey UVA went 29 years without a bull win prior to Welsh coming on board Look at Elliott's background and the story of his life. He will prove the naysayers wrong, just like Welsh did. He said, let's give Elliott some time and a chance. I echo that mindset. I mean, we got to give this guy some runway. He's got to get his program in. He's got to get his guys in, his system in. People jumping on, uh, jumping off the Elliott bandwagon so early, I just don't understand it, Hootie. I think a lot of it came from last year, Jerry, and the fact that there were high expectations with one of the nation's uh, most successful offenses uh, coming back. And Tony and, uh, you know, had Bronco been back another year, those expectations probably would have been met just because they knew his system. They knew how everything worked. Tony didn't know that system. His coaches didn't know that system. So they brought in their system, tried to teach it to those guys. It just didn't click for whatever reason. There's been fingers pointed at the coaches for not adjusting to the talent. There's been fingers pointed at uh, the players for not buying in, not trying as hard, uh, that some of them weren't capable of running a different system. So we're not quite sure who to blame for that, but I think that's where a lot of the sourness comes from, generates from, because uh, a lot of people were expecting to go back to a bowl, put up big numbers like the year before. Instead, they go three and ten. Uh, excuse me, three and seven. Uh, are picked last in the conference this year, so a lot of people feel like this staff can't win here. I think you got to give them time. You got to give any new coach uh, three, three or four years, like you said, to implement his system, to get in his kind of players that fit that system to recruit, uh, you know, upgrade the talent, really. And um, that's something that they're in the midst of. Some of, you know, they have 16 commitments right now. There's some guys on there that, that they must have seen something in that I didn't see and 
in terms of uh, their backgrounds that we've researched. Some of the guys, though, are have been recruited by really good football programs who, who win. So um, he needs more of those, and he needs to get some of those from the state of Virginia, which is a, a sore point, a thorn in uh, Virginia's saddle over the last seven, eight years. But, um, yeah, you got to give the guy time. Uh, George Welsh won uh, earlier than people thought he would. Uh, he came in 82. By 84, they were in the first bowl game in Virginia history and beat the Big Ten runner-up, Purdue, uh, in a magnificent win. And uh, he never let up from that point on. And uh, it, it's a shame that some that wasn't good enough for some Virginia fans. They, he was kind of a victim of his own success. They wanted him to take the program to a higher level and keep it there. And that's a lot easier said than done at a school like UVA. So uh, I think Virginia fans should be satisfied if you can get a coach in here who done who did what George did and win average seven wins a year, every now and then have a nine or ten win season and play in a big bowl game. Uh, I, I think if Tony Elliott can get the program to that point, then it's a resounding success. If he flounders and, and he can't win, then certainly he'll be replaced in a, a couple of years down the road. But you got to give the guy a chance. Right now, um, when you get down in Division One FBS football, it, it's tough to climb back up that ladder because there's no mercy. People negative recruit against you. Uh, it's tough to get players to come into your to recruit players into your system because you haven't won. So uh, you got to give him time to see if he can turn it around. Otherwise, it's, it's, you're not giving him a t- fair chance. We have viewers and listeners in Hampton, Virginia, Newport News, Virginia, Williamsburg, Virginia on the program right now, Lynchburg, Virginia on the show. You, the viewer and listener, can ask questions and shape the discussion by putting it in the feed, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you're watching the program, ask some questions. We'll relay them live on air. This question comes in from Spencer, who's watching in Pennsylvania. He goes, diehard UVA fan, 1998 graduate. I completely agree with Mr. Ratcliffe about patience with Tony Elliott. We have to give Coach Elliott an opportunity to get his system in place before we hold him accountable. That's three, four years tops. Fans may not want to hear that, but that's how long it takes to turn this system around. Please ask Ratcliffe his thoughts on musket. You guys have talked offensive line. Is Musket the guy to lead this team? It's a great question. Well, he is right now because he's the only guy with experience in college football, period. <laughs> I mean, you look at what's behind him, and as, as much as Anthony Calandria, the kid from St. Pete, has impressed with a strong arm and, and has got a lot of savvy. and He's a first year with no game experience. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. never played a down of college right. football. and. Nobody behind him has ever played a down in college football. So uh, Tony Musket brings years of experience in a similar system, albeit on the FCS level, and he hasn't faced anything like he's going to face Saturday out in Nashville. Uh, It could be a rude awakening for him too, but we won't know until we see him take on – Defenses like this, 
in live situations. It's different than going against your own team in practice because you can you have an idea of their strengths and weaknesses and what you can get by with and what works. Uh, when you're playing against a team that's trying to knock your head off on every play, it's a whole lot different because they're coming after you hard. And uh, if they won't, if they hurt you, you know they don't really care. So. Uh, you're not going to have a you have red shirt on with a referee blowing a whistle if somebody comes close to knocking you down in practice. So um, we don't know. We just don't know about Tony Musket. He's a, a, a mysterious figure for us right now. We've seen him a little bit in practice. Uh, we saw him in the spring game. He, he uh, he's a confident guy. He's a smart guy. But all that goes out the window if. You're getting knocked on your butt every other play. So, uh, do you roll a musket out of the pocket? I mean, what do we do to protect this guy when we yeah. know there's injuries in the trenches? How do we keep him on his feet? That's one way of doing it: having a floating pocket. Uh, try to figure out where the pressure points are and uh, let him move. I, I think Virginia will probably is my guess, and I think this is one thing that's overlooked. I, I think these two tight ends they have. They're not superstars like Jelani Woods and, and Heath Miller and some of the guys like they've had in the past. They may not play a down in the NFL. But I think these two guys are, are really good college tight ends. And I think we might see them use these guys quite a bit in short and, and mid-range passing schemes. I think they'll probably throw to some of the running backs out of the backfield and uh, try to loosen up that defense and, and cool down the pass rush if they can. Uh, screens, stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, you can roll him out of the pocket and, and try to remove some of the pressure. I mean, I would imagine Tennessee is going to line up to stop the run right away. And they're going to say, Virginia yes. football, beat us through the air. You got an offensive line that may not be the best from a pass protection standpoint. You got an unknown under center with musket. We want to see if you can beat us in the air. We're going to stack the box. I guarantee you, you just came up with Tennessee's defensive game plan. They are going to – Tennessee has a tendency to stuff the box, shut down the run, force you to throw, force a young quarterback to make mistakes, turn over the ball, and – Get up on get up on the team early and let and let that offense roll. Yeah, and, and that's exactly exactly what Tim, uh, Josh Hupel uh, uh, is going to be trying to do. Um, comments coming in. This is from Rob Craig. We see Rob Craig often working the clock at Virginia basketball games. Yep. Um, he's got this comment. This is a good one. He knows his football. He knows his athletics. Coach Welsh did everything in a completely different era. And this transfer portal, NIL era, UVA is a disaster and only falling further behind. Just getting bowl eligible this year may become a challenge for Virginia. I, I'll push back on that a little bit. And, and Rob, I love when you watch our content. I don't think this team is going to become bowl eligible this year. Um, I don't think many people do. Virginia football dead last in the preseason poll. Um, I think it would be a success, and it's tough for me to say this because I'm not a guy that believes in moral victories. We get five, four or five wins here. That's a springboard into next season here. Your thoughts oh. on this new era, transfer portal, NIL era, UVA trying to compete against the big dogs? If, if Virginia can win, uh, if Virginia can become bowl eligible, which I don't think they will either, 
We throw uh, a parade for Tony, Tony Elliott. Tony Elliott should, yeah, they should throw yeah. a parade right down outside the, your office here, yeah. down the East Market Street, and uh, name him ACC Coach of the Year, if not National Coach of the Year. Uh, the odds are stacked way against this football team. Uh, four wins would be success, a resounding success right. in my mind, Same. and because nobody thinks they're going to win more than three. Uh, some people don't think they'll win more than one. So. Uh, if they can win four games, uh, Wahoo fans should be uh, elated because that means probably he's going to get this thing turned around once he gets more talent in here. But uh, George Welsh would have hated the transfer portal. He would have hated a lot of the things about I hate the transfer football. portal. I hate the transfer yeah. portal. I don't like – I don't mind the NIL. I don't mind the NIL. I don't either. mind that at all, but I think it should be – even it should be controlled by somebody. I know the NCAA doesn't have the guts to do it. We should talk about or the law or the money to defend it in court. But the, the NIL Congress, should almost be like a salary cap, like we see in sports. Congress in should pro do sports. It. Yeah, they got they got to come up with some way for an evil. It's, it's college football is supposed to be an evil even playing field under the rules. The NIL does not allow that to happen. State by state has different rules. Some people you can make a million dollars a year. Some people you can you're limited to X amount. Some schools believe in make uh, thrive on the NIL. Some schools are doing it because they have to to compete. Some schools are cheating with it. Uh, we heard Jimbo Fisher and and uh, 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 Lane Kiffin both say, and and, uh, and and these guys are in the heart of the SEC. He said, yeah. We used to have this in, in the SEC. We called it cheating. And uh, it's just legalized cheating in some places right now. And if they don't get a grip on it, uh, I mean, they're tearing college football and college sports. They're tearing it apart. They're ruining, they're ruining the game. Even the Notre Dame AD said the other day, we're ruining college sports. And it's, it's happening right before our eyes, and nobody's doing anything about it. Um, getting back to his point... I, I don't think Virginia has done a great job in the transfer portal, and there's probably some reasons why. One, NIL. They may not be able – some of these guys are looking for a payday. Uh, you know, some of them need the money. Some of them don't. Some of them just want it. Some of them don't want to go to class. Some That's not going to happen at UVA. Some are getting bought uh, by other programs. Uh, we've heard Wake Forest coach and Mac Brown at Carolina talk about their players have been offered bukus of money to – come and play for other schools uh, they turned it down kudos to them for doing that but um, you know uh, you're right they, some kids have to write an essay to get into Virginia some of them are going to say I'm not writing an essay I can go over here and play for this guy for $500,000 a year I don't have to fill out an essay uh, I, I don't I don't want to go to uh Every class I have to take, and it'd be hard, and have to read a lot. You know, some it's not for everybody, and um, it's a smaller recruiting pool for Virginia than it is for some other schools. There are even some academic schools around the country. I'm not going to point them out right now, but uh, some of those schools are getting a lot of exceptions in recruiting that they didn't used to get. Right, and I know that for a fact because I know the coaches, and they've told me so. And uh, that's not happening at Virginia. 
And so um, you're a little bit behind the eight ball in, in, in trying to attract players from the transfer portal. Plus, you know, a lot of guys are going to say, well, yeah, I'm looking for playing time, but if I can go get some playing time for this school, which was is going to go to a bowl game as opposed to this school that won three games last year, I, I'm not sure I want to do that. So um, you're a little handcuffed. Uh, uh, in that regard, I'm 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 not sure that they've done a great job in the transfer portal. I know they're trying, but uh, you got some things stacked against you. This question's come in, um, and it's a follow up on the NIL. And Rob, I'll get to your follow up. Stephanie, I'll get to your question. Let me go to Thomas, who's watching in the Baltimore, Maryland area, and he says, "Can you give us some insight into what UVA is doing with its football program?" from an NIL standpoint, is there legitimate money going to these players through uh, um, name, image, and likeness? Well, we don't know because we're not privy to those numbers. We're not sure. We, we hear things, but you don't know what's uh, hearsay and what's fact. Uh, they have an NIL program. They have collectives. Um, Reese Bigman just signed a NIL deal with McDonald's thanks to uh, Rick Hendricks, a guy that owns a lot of McDonald's in Charlottesville and Waynesboro. Really good guy. Him and his dad have been longtime Wahoo supporters. Uh, uh, Jonathan Cotton at the Good Feet store is, is, uh, gives Virginia some NIL money. There, there are other corporations that do it. Roback. There you go. We we're, both we're have it on. Ro- we got our doggies right here. We love you, Roback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They've had some NIL deals with uh, some Virginia athletes and will continue to do so, I believe. Uh, so th- there are things going on. Uh, again, we're not privy to those numbers. They don't have to give them to us. And uh, so we don't know for sure what those numbers are. Um, Rob follows up, he says, and we talked about this last week, Rob. This is a good comment from you. Much like Coach Tony Bennett, who uses a unique system and masters it, the key for Virginia football getting back to relevancy is to use a unique offense. Kitchings, smash mouth offense with a poor offensive line and lower rank recruits could very well lead to a winless year in 2023. We made the comparison, Robin. We appreciate your comment. We know you know sports to what Wake Forest is doing. Wake Forest has got similar headwinds and challenges that UVA has. Small school, academic standards, Football may not necessarily be the priority at Wake Forest, may not be the priority here at UVA. Unique system at Wake Forest. Is he right? Is he right in that Virginia needs some trickeration, some misdirection, some single wing to potentially compete and to keep their opponents on their heels and off guard? Well, that was the philosophy of John Oliver and Craig Littlepage when they brought in Bronco Mendenhall to bring in a team that a program with a system that was different to prepare for uh, with Robert and I's uh, uh, passing game, um, although it was a lot more balanced attack than people gave it credit for. But he threw some read option in there. Yeah, and, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, you have a quarterback that runs the ball a lot uh, with Bryce Perkins and, and Brennan Armstrong. They both were, uh, were Virginia's leading rushers for uh, almost every year that, that those guys were in the system. Um, Wake Forest runs a very, very unique offense. It's very difficult to prepare for. And 
Very few people have shut it down. They led the ACC in scoring last year. Who would ever expect Wake Forest to do that? Um, they had a really good quarterback who's now at Notre Dame. but And they've had good quarterbacks in their system. But it's, um, you know, that it's it depends on what you believe in. Some people believe that you have to do, if you're a program like that, you have to bring in uniqueness uh, that makes people work hard to prepare for you. Uh, we don't know yet if this system's going to work. Um, it's sort of a, a blend of what Clemson did and some of what Des Kitchens had experienced in various stops along the way. I don't know that we have seen the full brunt of what this offense can do because, like last year, it just didn't click. We don't know if it will this year. We'll, we'll see. Um, I, I believe that there is some truth to the fact that if you're in Virginia's situation, you probably should try to run something different. I think that's one of the reasons that they brought in Tony Bennett because he brought in something that that's very unique to college basketball. And pack the way line. he runs his system, pack line defense, which is uh, a huge, huge part of his success, and a slower-paced offense that wears people out, tries their patience. Sometimes it doesn't work. But uh, people had to go out of their way to prepare for it. And if you're not prepared for it, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to like a, a python. It's going to wrap around your neck slowly and choke you to death. So uh, there's – Different philosophies on that. Um, I can see where uh, Oliver and Little Page were coming from, and I, I can see uh, Ray's point of view. Uh, it's to be determined, I guess, as to whether this is going to work or not. This question, Stephanie's wondering why we're opening with Tennessee with so many unknowns on the roster. I think it's probably for a payday would be my guess because uh, this game was not on the schedule. Um, Tennessee was supposed to open up the season against BYU in this game, and then BYU joined the Big 12 and had to rearrange their schedule, opted out of the Tennessee game. Tennessee was looking for an opponent. Virginia essentially sold a home game to go out there and play. Uh, they'll probably get a nice big paycheck out of this, I'm imagining. Uh, they would probably make more money in a road game getting uh, – playing in Nashville than they would if they played at home because Scott Stadium sits half empty for games and you're losing a million dollars plus per home date. And so is that the number? Uh, yes. Uh, more than a million for uh, home games when they don't attract more than half capacity. And so um, They'll make uh, a, a good paycheck, I imagine, by playing this game at Tennessee. And uh, that goes into the coffers, which I'm sure Virginia needs. Christopher's watching in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a follow-up to what you just said. Does the game day experience need to change for Virginia to get more butts in the seats? We understand the product is what it is on the football field to steal a line from Al Groh, but it can do other things, food, beverage and other attractions on game day to get fans back at Scott Stadium. You see a lot of this with pro sports in North Carolina. Should UVA do stuff like that? Well, that used to be the $64,000 question. Now I guess it's the $64 million question, right? Uh, Virginia knows 
knows all this. Uh, they've they've tried to experiment, I think, with various food services and bringing in some other people for food, uh, doing attractions for the kiddies, face painting, stuff like that. We take our boys, my wife and I, to Davenport for Virginia baseball. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's as much for me about watching a baseball game as it is for our five-year-old, our, our eight, our nine-month-old's not doing this, but our five-year-old loves the bounce house. Right. Loves the ice cream. Yeah. Loves walking around the stadium trying to catch a foul ball and playing with the other kids. And that enjoyment he receives and the fact that he's not pestering me and my wife is why we go to Davenport. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure they have some of that over at Scott Stadium. I, I'm, I'm in the press box two hours before the game, so I don't know what's going on out in the stands. And I've never sat in the stands. I have no clue. I am just go by what people tell me. Uh, they they've sell alcohol at the stadium now. They've been doing that for a few years, uh, helping to attract that and, and keep people from staying out in the parking lot tailgating or, or going out at halftime and not coming back. Um, it's been a, a problem for a long time. And, you know, uh, even winning, I'm, I'm, you know, I thought winning would be enough to bring people in. But if you go back a couple of years ago when Virginia was winning. The stadium still was – they brought, Notre Dame, they, they brought Notre Dame in here, for goodness sakes. Notre Dame sells out everywhere they go. So they couldn't sell out that night game with Notre Dame, for goodness sake. Notre Dame was a top ten team. And I know Brendan Armstrong didn't play. They didn't. Nobody thought he was – well, there was some question mark as to whether he would play. Jay Wolfolk, I believe his first start in yeah. college football. Yeah. And, and he did as well as he could under the circumstances. Again, a freshman – Going back to that question earlier uh, about Tony Musket, I mean, you want a freshman to start right. against Tennessee? I don't right. think so. But, um, I mean, you know, what is it going to take? I don't know what it's going to take. I know that a long time ago they made a huge mistake, and I know that at some point they were going to have to do it. when they had a reseeding in Scott Stadium, and they uprooted – Hundreds of loyal, longtime Virginia fans. That literally just came in the feed. And, UVA killed a yeah. lot of faithful when they basically put generational season tickets up for bid in the 90s and 2000s. Yes, it was in the 2000s. It was during the Al Groh era. I'm, I'm sure Al Groh didn't like it. Uh, I think it was the year they opened up with Southern Cal here. But um, that that was an, an unforgivable sin at the time because uh, they were – Virginia was, was having some success. Uh, they were drawing pretty good crowds. The school got a little greedy. Um, some of those people have never forgiven them, have never come back, and swore they will never come back. And that's a, the, the most loyal part of your fan base, people who sat through years and years of horrible football. I'm, not, I'm talking about pre-George Welsh, back when – People just showed up to Virginia to party, or you had a loyal core of people who were there and enjoyed watching Virginia football, even though they were getting their brains beaten out every weekend. And they were the butt of every college football joke in the country before George Welsh. They had two winning seasons in 29 years. Uh, those people were there thick and thin, rain or shine. You don't take those people and discard them like that and expect it not to not have some 
major impact on your program. If they had never done that, yeah, they wouldn't be getting some of the big money maybe they would have by selling those seats, but they would have a, a lot better crowds than they are having at Scott Stadium now when the TV cameras pan over part of the stadium and it's half empty. Uh, that doesn't look good to recruits or, or anybody else. So uh, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. Uh, I don't know that even if you try to make peace with those people and get them to come back, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, I don't know if it's giving tickets away or giving tickets at, a, at an incredibly reduced rate to get fannies in the seats. I, I would rather sell tickets for $5 and have 50,000 people there than 100%. sell them for $60 and have 25,000 people there. But that's me. I don't run the budget like Carla Williams and, and her group has to do. So I'd rather give the tickets away to frontline workers and teachers and nurses and literally give them, them to free, free tickets yeah, than have yeah. empty seats where ESPN, the ACC network, like you said, shows the stadium and it's empty. Yeah. It's not good for the image. No, it's not. And it doesn't help you recruiting either because I'm, uh, it wants, if you're uh, coming to a Virginia game and then you're going to – uh, Virginia Tech or NC State or Maryland or Penn State and you, you go to those stadiums and they're sold out and you come here and there's 30,000, 34,000 people there, that's not going to make a very good impression on those kids. Even if you are closer to their home, they they want to play in front of big crowds and, and have some excitement. Um, James Watson watching the program. He's a diehard, diehard UVA fan. James, here's a stat for you. Viewers and listeners, this stat really took me aback here. Virginia football, with their home games, their home football games, losing a million dollars plus per home football game. That is really percolating here on all the social channels. Stephanie said what you described happened to her in-laws. They, no they will not go back to Scott Stadium, even if we offer them a free ticket because they were displaced during that generational shift of season ticket holders. You don't know how many people come up to me. I mean, I've said that. And grocery stores, restaurants, uh, golf course, <laughs> uh, supermarket, gas lines, wherever, and have told me that over the years, that, that very same story. And uh, I get emails, I get uh, text, I get uh, DMs on Twitter all the time from people who have that similar story. And I don't know what you do. I don't know what Virginia can do. I, I would try to do something to appease them and try to get some of them back. I, you may not ever be able to get them back. Uh, it sounds like to me Virginia has just said, okay, they've accepted the fact that those people aren't coming back and they're just trying to get new fans. And uh, I know they've tried various ways to do that. I, uh, Carla Williams and, and, and her marketing department and people, that's a major problem that they've tried to solve and have been confronted with. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, they, they could probably, they've probably talked to consultants in college football uh, with a college football expertise on, on how to do that, but I don't know what works and what doesn't. I, I don't know if there is a solution other than winning and what we just talked about. Even Bronco had couple of really nice seasons in a row and they still had difficulty filling seats so 
I don't know if it's going to take something like another George Welsh to come in and, and win year after year after year and uh, spring some upsets and play in some bowl games and win. I don't know. I, 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 I'm, that goes above my pay grade. I just don't know what this answer is. And Good luck to Carlo on trying to figure that out. I think you've offered fantastic suggestions. Here are more suggestions. This is from Johnny Ornalis, the owner of Guadalajara and El Mariachi. I, I go to Guadalajara all, all the, the time. All I the was time. there last night. You were there last night? Yes, I was. I love it. I love it. Johnny Ornalis says this. This is what you do. You lower the cost of tickets. You increase volume at games. And guess what? You get a full stadium. And those fans spend money in the stadium. Then you make money. He's offering a suggestion on how you recoup a million dollars plus of lost, re- not even lost revenue. They're operating in the red for home football games, this UVA football program, this athletic department. I think that's a fantastic suggestion, one you've touched on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if it works. I mean, he's a businessman. He knows more about making money than I do. But, uh, I mean, what, what's it going to hurt to try? I mean, it's not – is it really costing Virginia anything if they offer some really cheap tickets? I mean, heck, that's what the baseball program's doing. Yeah. Baseball I'm, program is literally offering free tickets to kids, offering free tickets to frontline workers, to teachers. As long as they teachers, come with an adult. As and long as they I'm, come with adults. They're selling a ticket to an adult. And guess what? When, I, when my wife and I come with our boys, I'm getting a couple of beers. We're getting hot dogs. My, my kids get some kind of ice cream. We still end up spending sixty or seventy dollars. Yeah, and you know you're gonna make got to make money one way or the other, and, and that's a way of doing it. Um, I mean, I, again, what does Virginia have to lose? Uh, I would rather, again, I would rather sell five dollar tickets and have fifty thousand people there screaming their heads off than to have thirty five thousand paying sixty or seventy dollars a ticket. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that doesn't work out financially. I mean, you're still going to sell the the uh, expensive seats to the hardcore people, but to fill up the other seats, five dollars is better than nothing. Uh, the old uh, the old uh, song in the tin cup from a, a, a band is uh, a little bit is better than nada. Sometimes you want the whole enchilada. Uh, Hootie Ratcliffe, so, pop you know, culture. Come on, you know. Uh, what's it, what's it going to hurt? Give hey, it a try. Amen, brother. Amen. How about an uh, introduction uh, with Coach Rudd, our UVA defensive coordinator. Eight starters returning. If there's, a positive, um, if there's a positive aspect of this team to latch on to, I think could be, it could be on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, without question. Uh, John Rudzinski was somewhat of a miracle worker last year. I mean, he inherited a defense that was so bad that it it caused the whole disruption in Virginia football. Bronco Mendenhall, some people thought Bronco had taken the program as far as he could. I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. Uh, But that's what... That's essentially what caused Bronco to leave because they wanted him to get rid of his defensive coordinator, and Bronco didn't want to do it. And it, he was so close to those coaches, he, and, and I think he was a little burned out. There's no question about that. I think COVID wore him out. Um, but I, I think he just didn't have the stomach to fire guys who were like brothers, blood brothers to him. 
I mean, they so, moved across the country for them. Yes, they sure, certainly did. And uh, had 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 that defense been better and Broncos stayed on, and who knows what would have happened. But uh, Rudzinski, uh, everybody thought the defense was going to just be just terrible last year. Well, they were fourth in the ACC in defensive efficiency and in scoring defense. They were 48th in the nation in scoring defense. They gave up 24 points a game. And do, if you go by Broncos analytics, if you only give up 24 points in a game, you should be able to have a chance to win that game. And there were, game, there were games last year when Virginia gave up 24 points or less and still couldn't win because the offense didn't do their part. So, uh, yeah, he's got eight starters returning. I know Chico Bennett, one of those, and he won't play this week because his knee is recovering. But he's got seven other starters. He's got guys who started at Clemson and started at SMU who transferred in in the secondary, Sam Westfall and uh, Malcolm Green. Uh, he's got uh, a, uh, an experienced defensive line. He's got some experienced linebackers. He's got some experienced guys in the secondary. He's got some guys who weren't starters last year but who have started a game and have playing experience. I think, uh, you know, I think they, they're a year in the system now. I think he didn't have to spend as much time teaching in training camp as he did a year ago. Uh, I think he's able to simplify things things are a little more cohesive. They know what to expect from him and vice versa. He knows their strengths and weaknesses. And um, yeah, I, I think this is the strength of the team. I, if they can create a few more turnovers, Jerry, and I know that's Chris Slade, one of his big points this uh, training camp, he expects his guys to put more pressure on the quarterback and get more sacks, cause more turnovers. If they can do that, those are game changers sometimes, it's particularly in close games. If you can get a couple of turnovers, man, it, it can really change the course of a football game. Jim Hamlet watching the program right here in Charlottesville. He says, Hootie, that's exactly what happened to me. I was a season, season ticket holder for more than 10 years when Sonny Randall was the coach until we, were, um, until we moved when George Welsh had some success. I would take free tickets with nowhere to park. Um, I'm seeing this all over the feed. Yeah. Viewers and listeners getting burned here by the money over fans, money over passion. And they're, they're, I mean, this is something that you see literally almost every day here from the fans watching this program. This is the hope, viewers and listeners, because we're, you know, glasses half full, especially at the start of the season. The hope is that Coach Elliott implements his system, gets his guys in the mix, and winning, we hope, fixes it just about everything. Um, this fan base, if they can return back to Scott Stadium and see a good product on the field, maybe those seats start getting full, but we understand that those ticket prices are quite expensive. Mark Lickman watching the program today as well. I'll tell you what, this Virginia football program lasts in the ACC from a preseason standpoint. I'm going to give you the uh, preseason polls, which you vote in. Virginia at the bottom, Boston College right above Virginia, Georgia Tech right above um, Boston College. Hokies fourth to last, Syracuse fifth to last. The top five in the 2003 ACC preseason poll, Clemson as expected, Florida State two, North Carolina three, NC State four, Miami five. 
We have an aggregate standing this year. Right. No divisions. Which team are you following closely, or which team do you think is going to be? I mean, it's hard to argue against Clemson. What team could contend with the Tigers? Yeah, I think Clemson is a was a no-brainer. Um, some people picked Florida State as a, as an upset pick, uh, and Florida, I think if if anybody's going to unseat Clemson, it'll be Florida State. Florida State got 67 first place votes. They have a tremendous amount of returning. Uh, production from their offensive and defensive side of the football. They had one of the best recruiting classes in the nation last year. They had one of the best transfer portal years of anybody in the country. So they've got the talent. There's no question about it. They've recruited well, even though their results have not been that great in recent years. They turned it around last year. We'll see if they can continue that success. An early game this this week with LSU I think is in Tallahassee. That will tell us a little bit because both those teams have high aspirations. Um, some people believe Carolina or NC State may be in the mix. Uh, I, I find it I find it hard to pick against anybody being in the championship game outside of Clemson, Florida State. Uh, I just I just don't see it happening. Um, Carolina has. Drake may a quarterback, but they have a new offensive coordinator. They have he lost some of his top uh, playmakers. NC State with Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I. Who knows? Maybe they can make some magic happen like they did here uh, a couple years ago. Even though, if you look at those, even as great as those numbers were that year, Jerry, Virginia was still a 500 football team. So a lot of time, passing numbers are, are losing numbers. So because uh, you're racking up stats when you're when you're behind. Yes. And defenses are in prevent mode, and they're allowing you a lot of stuff under center, a lot of stuff in the middle of the field. Exactly. And that's how you get a lot of yardage, a lot of statistics, but they're meaningless statistics late in games. Exactly. So uh, th- that's how I see the ACC shaping up. I, 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 I'm not a believer in Miami. Everybody is that's kind of fool's gold, I think, that they think Mario Cristobal is going to win the ACC. I think that's baloney. Um Everybody gets high on Miami every year, and they just fold. So uh, outside of those four, I'm not sure anybody else can crack that top four. Do you? Which game are you watching in week one the closest? I mean, we got a, we got a pretty marquee matchup here, uh, Hootie Ratcliffe and, and North Carolina, South Carolina. South Carolina is a two-and-a-half-point underdog. It's at a neutral site. The over-under is at 64 and a half. Carolina, top 25 football team. It's in Charlotte. Uh, it's a big hub for North Carolina, but also not that far away from Columbia, as, as we remember when Virginia played South Carolina in the Belt Bowl uh, a few years ago, and uh, the stadium was overrun with South Carolina fans. Uh, I, I think Carolina will, uh, North Carolina will probably win this game, although... Uh, South Carolina is capable. They, they've got Spencer Rattler, I believe, a quarterback who's a very dangerous quarterback. Uh, Frank Beamer's son is turning that program around. They beat Tennessee in November last year, which shocked college football. Uh, I think it's going to depend on Gene Chizik's defense. He has not had defensive success at Carolina. That's been their Achilles heel. Uh Supposedly that's uh, going to be highly improved. We'll see. Last year, 
Carolina had to score 40 or 50 points sometimes to win football games because the defense was so bad. Uh, if it becomes another high-scoring game like that, it's anybody's it's anybody's game. But uh, I, I would I would have to pick Carolina by a couple points, um, mostly because of Drake May. But you know, if, if South Carolina's pressure can get to him and force some mis- some mistakes, uh, the Gamecocks could win this game. They they have they have some talent. How about the top ten matchup on Sunday night? LSU and Florida State. I'm going to watch that game. 7.30 kickoff, ABC. It's at a neutral site in Orlando. Nationally televised game. LSU a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under at 58, Hootie. LSU, Florida State, Sunday night. That's a big-time football game. That should be a fun game to watch. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge college football fan. Uh, always have been. And uh, it's, it's, my, it's my favorite sport. Sorry, Tony uh, Bennett, but uh, I love basketball too but uh, college football has always been my favorite sport of anything and uh, this is the kind of games that make college football fun I mean two uh, storied programs going after each other with really good offenses um, lots of excitement uh, pageantry the whole nine yards the the horse coming out and throwing the uh Fiery spear in yeah, the fiery ground. spear. <laughs> uh, I mean, the the tiger at LSU prowling the sideline. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. So, uh, it it should be a fun game. I think either team could win that game. It, it, I, I think you said LSU is a two point favorite. I, I think if Florida State is going to be who they want to be, they, they got to win this they game. Win, they got that's a must win for them. Yeah, because uh, that can take a little confidence away from you if you lose a huge showdown early in the season. Um, We would be remiss not to highlight the Hokies for the many Hokie fans that are watching this program. Virginia Tech's got Old Dominion, 8 o'clock Blacksburg, Saturday night. Monarchs are not a football program to overlook, Hootie. No, they've they've struggled a bit uh, in recent years, but I I think think they're expecting better things uh, at Old Dominion this season. Um, they've beaten the Hokies a couple of times, and uh, so I'm sure they're not going to go in there intimidated. And Tech, like Virginia, has struggled mightily for the last several years. Um, Lane Stadium is a difficult place to play. I'm sure it'll be a pretty rowdy place this weekend. Um, I would think the Hokies would prevail, but... 16-point favorites. Uh if I were a betting man, I would probably uh, favor. I would probably put my money on the Hokies to cover that, and maybe then some. But uh, you never know. Old Dominion. Uh, they they came in here a couple of years ago and gave Virginia a, a tremendous scare. So um, who knows? Uh, Larry Redwing giving you some props on Twitter, um, retweeting the show, and loving what he's seen so far. Thank you, Larry. Um, some closing thoughts. Time flies when you're having fun with a good friend like Cootie Ratcliffe. We're rocking our rowback gear here. We're very passionate about college football, both Hootie and I, and I love sitting across from this guy. Some closing thoughts for your fans there, Hootie. A couple things. Uh, one lady touched on Matt Ganyard and the story. Oh, yeah, and Mike, Mike Barber did. Uh, I think all of Virginia media, we spent over an hour talking, or close to an hour talking to Matt. Uh, thank Jim Davis and uh, 
and his crew for making him available to us. Uh, everybody in the country has been wanting to interview this guy because uh, it's one of the feel-good stories in college football nationally this year. You're probably going to see it on ESPN and the ACC Network and and lots of other places before the season's over. Um, we were lucky enough to, to get this early exposure to him, and, and he purposely didn't want any interviews until he had something to talk about. He's a team guy. He's an ex-Marine. Uh, I, I haven't read Mike's story because I, I seldom read any of my uh, fellow colleagues' stories, and I doubt that they read mine. But I, I did a blowout story on uh, Matt last, I think we talked to him, what day was it? I think it was Thursday. I did my story Thursday night. Um, very lengthy, in-depth story. Uh, you might want to check that one out, too. Um, just a, a great story. A married guy with two kids. Uh, tried out for Virginia's football team in 2009 when Al Groh was head coach. Made all nine of his kicks that day. Didn't make it. They had three other kickers on the squad. Uh, he got an email that said, sorry to inform you, you did not make the football team. That caused a burning passion in him. He used it as his screensaver on his iPad for years. He saw it every time he turned on his iPad and never lost the dream. That one of these days, I am going to wear orange and blue and kick for Virginia. Eight years in the military, helicopter pilot, Sailed for seven months, Jerry, on a ship in the Mediterranean Sea, the Pacific Ocean. Somewhere along the way, he bought a rubber football, like we get at Myrtle Beach in the junk stores down there or at Nags Head. Carried it with him on the ship for seven months. Anytime they were in a port of call, he would go out and find somewhere to kick that football just so he wouldn't go seven months without kicking a football. He was in Jordan at a soccer field and was kicking the football. Jordanian soldiers came up to him, had no idea what he was doing, and he got them involved. He was in uh, some remote islands off the coast of Thailand, kicking that rubber football. That's awesome. I mean, who has passion like that? that that's one of the most incredible stories I've ever run across in my career, and that's, that's saying something. And for this guy not to give up on his dream, and he came here last year and enrolled in Darden. Hoped to kick last year. Darden's schedule, class schedule, which is unbending, right. conflicted with Virginia's football practice schedules. Door was closed. He ran out of eligibility. Didn't know if he'd ever get a chance then. It looked like the doors slammed shut. This year, practice schedule, didn't conflict with Darden's class schedule. He asked Virginia to appeal for a sixth year of eligibility. It was turned down. They appealed, and it was cleared four days before training camp started. He shows up in the Virginia's locker room with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. A couple guys knew who he was. Most of them had no idea who this guy was. He's 34 years old. 34 years old. He doesn't look it, just like you don't look your age. Um, he he stood up. Uh, Tony Elliott asked him to stand up at the end of the team meeting and introduce himself. And 
Uh, he, you know, he's, he's been razzed a little bit. They call him Pop Pops. They call him uh, <laughs> Granddad. They call him Uncle, uh, Uncle Matt, uh, stuff like that. But uh, he, he's taking it in good humor, and he's meshed with the players, and they're all behind him. And he may kick off Saturday in Nashville. That'd be awesome. He may kick off. He may be the first person to touch the football in Saturday's game. Isn't that a, a dream story? That is, that is the stuff of Hollywood scripts. Yeah, and uh, the, another point to touch on is we don't want to go by without mentioning ACC expansion. Oh, yeah. We told you last week it wasn't dead. It, it was on life support. But apparently uh, the money is, is an angle. Uh, there's some other angles to it, too. But money, uh, if they add SMU, Cal, Stanford, ESPN will fork over between 50 and $72 million. We see different numbers annually to the ACC to distribute however it wants because of that. SMU won't take any of that money for five to seven years. Cal and Stanford would take only like 30% for a few years. Uh, they can use that money at their discretion to pay people who are successful in the postseason, keep people like Florida State from barking so much. Uh, they can use it for travel expenses, etc. But it's back on the table. They may, they they might have met. Last, they, were, they were supposed to meet last night by phone. Uh, the shooting at North Carolina campus prevented that, out of respect. Uh, sometime this week, they will pick it back up and talk about it. I think there's a strong possibility this is going to happen, Jerry. That so, seems like a no-brainer to me. I was going to wear my ACC shirt that we used to get on the football tour every year, and it has a had a map of the conference. Back from the, the 80s when it was just uh, eight schools or so and it was just a little map. That map was taking the whole, the whole country. Shirt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, keep your eyes open on that. I think it's going to happen. You would think that'd be a no brainer, right? For the conference? I, th- I think it's going to add stability even if some schools leave. It, it would keep the ACC as a power, it would keep their Power Five status, unlike the Pac 12, which is going to probably lose its status even if those teams do stay those four teams do stay um, hoodie this was our best show yet i think it was a wonderful show and a lot of it's because of you guys out there who ask great questions you're all very knowledgeable football fans sports fans and uh not a single dumb question they were all great questions and we appreciate that you were on point jerry ratcliffe the virginia sports hall of famer bring an a plus plus ammunition the website is jerryratcliffe.com I'll say it loud and I'll say it proud, jerryratcliffe.com. We're on his website, guys, daily, reading about our Wahoos. You, absolutely phenomenal. This was truly a joy. Judah Wickhauer, props to you. He's our hero. He's the the guy. He's the Iron Man. He's the Iron Man over there. Brother from another mother, J-Dubs, thank you kindly uh, for everything that you do with this program. Guys, we are having so much fun covering the ACC in college football. Tuesdays at 10.15 for now. We're on the cusp, potentially another Jerry and Jerry show. Those details to come as they progress in real time. I could sit here and talk all day. I could sit here and listen to you all day, Hootie. And, and you, you, you're right in there, man. You Thank know you. your stuff. Thank you, Hootie. Appreciate you. Um, the I Love Seville show, our friends, is up in one, actually in 53 minutes, 52 minutes now. Thank you kindly for joining us on the Jerry and Jerry show. Check out jerryratcliffe.com. And you guys, game day on Saturday. Enjoy the week. Take care. It's awesome.
awesome. 